You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. morning. It is great to be here, and I was telling Pastor Burt that as soon as COVID was over, this was the first church that I wanted to come to, to thank you for your constant support. And every time we open your checks twice a month, it's like a God kiss for us, not just because of the financial provision, but because it reminds us that there are people that are supporting, loving, thinking about us, praying for us that we have never even met. And this is hard work. We need to be girded up for this work. So I chose Rocks of Remembrance as a title today because I love nature, I love trees, I love rocks, but scripturally, God often describes himself in the word as the rock. And he has often used stones or rocks that we read in Bible stories about the different miracles or provision that God had through rocks. And so sometimes we have to look back on our rocks of remembrance in order to have the strength and the faith to go forward into something that we don't know. Because that's what faith is, right? We don't see it, we don't know it, but when we pick our foot up in obedience, by the time we put it back down, when God's in it, there's solid ground there. So I want to start with reading Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, and then I'll skip to 20 to 24. The memorial stones. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of Jordan, from the place where the priest's foot stood firm. You shall carry them with you and leave them in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men, whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and the stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Skipping down to 20. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you crossed over, 
just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the people of the earth may know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And that is why we do the work that we do in Zoe Ministries. Not because of trafficking, not because of anti-trafficking prevention efforts. That's not why we do what we do. That's our platform. But our mission is Jesus, always. So we've interfaced with Department of Justice, Attorney General's Office, attorneys, court systems, the kids' department, law enforcement, because of our trafficking work. But God brings them to us for the purpose of showing them Jesus. And I would venture to say that's why you're in the work that you're in. It's not about the work. It's about the Spirit of God living inside you that needs to invade the space where he planted you. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about Zoe and how God has provided an altar of rocks of remembrance by his provision and by the miracles that he has given to us. And in the Word of God and in our lives, obedience always precedes provision. Obedience in and of itself, though, is not enough. Absolute surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit is needed. Because what happens when we're obedient without surrender and things work out well? Then it becomes all about us and our good choices. But when we surrender, it really is all about him. And the work that we do at Zoe is all about him. And I'm excited to share with you what God has done and what you all have been a part of. Because when you pray for us and you support us, you are helping us put our hands to the work that God is doing. We don't ask him to put his hand to our work. So that's our goal, that all people will know the mighty hand of God. So I'm going to share a few highlights from Zoe. I could talk about God's miracles for three hours, but I'm not going to. I'm going to just try to hit a few highlights. So I learned about human trafficking in 2011, and I was pretty wrecked by it. And then God called me in 2012 to form a 501c3. And I didn't really know why. I just heard him say, you need to start a nonprofit. So I did. I've been walking with God enough in my life and seen enough of his provision and know how faithful he is and that his word cannot return void. So if he said start a ministry, I'm going to start a ministry. But my thought was I was starting a ministry for homeless pregnant women. So I started calling around in the state to see where the the needs and the voids and the gaps in the services. And somebody said to me, there's nothing here for trafficking survivors in our state. And I didn't even really know what trafficking was. 
And so as I learned about trafficking, I thought, this, there's no way this can happen in the United States in the 21st century. This is not happening. And it's certainly not happening in Delaware, which is a small state, the first state, where everybody comes on vacation with their kids. It's not happening here. But when God called me to trafficking, specifically to trafficking, I knew there was a reason he had done that. Because he knew something I didn't. And I trusted him. And so I thought, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure out what this trafficking thing is and what does it look like and what am I supposed to do with this 501c3? And so the first thing I did was go online and Google search and see what's, what's in the area. And I found a website um, through Abolition International, which is Natalie Grant's organization to fight trafficking. And they had a grant available, one domestic and one international grant for anybody that had a 501c3 and wanted to walk through the steps of learning how to open a therapeutic residential home for adults or minors. I thought, oh, that's great. I'm going to call them because I've never written a grant before. <laughs> I was a stay-at-home mom at that point, but I had been a nurse previously and had no idea, again, what I was doing. And so I called Abolition International, and I introduced myself, and I said, I don't even know how to write a grant. Can somebody just call me back and help me write a grant? Because <laughs> I want to apply for this. So within a few hours, a guy named Jeff called me back, and we talked for two to two and a half hours, and he ended up praying for me. And then he said to me, my name's Dr. Jeff Barrows, and I'm the national medical trainer for the Federal Health and Human Services Task Force on Trafficking. And while we were praying, God just told me that you don't need to write the grant. We're just going to give you the grant because I'm on the grant committee, and I'll be your mentor. And that was my first rock of remembrance on top of a pile of many in the years previous. But that was my first Zoe rock of remembrance. So I learned a lot from Jeff. And we would talk once or twice a week. And he said to me, well, the first thing you're going to have to do is become the state expert. This coming to the woman that thought a trafficking victim was somebody who got hit in traffic. God can use anybody that is willing and submitted. So I thought, okay, how am I going to learn about this? And Jeff is out in Ohio, so I'm going to go to the state of Maryland. I'm going to see what's happening there because whatever's happening in Maryland is probably happening in Delaware. And so I went to Maryland and I went to their human trafficking task force. And I'll show you that slide in a minute. But before I launch too heavily into this, I want to, I want to give you the definition according to the Department of Justice about what human trafficking is. The recruitment, harboring, transportation, providing, or obtaining of a person for a commercial sex act in which that act is induced by force, fraud, or coercion, or if the person is not yet 18 years old. So basically what that means is anybody who is exchanging commercial sex for anything. doesn't have to be money. It can be drugs, place to stay, food. It can mean absolutely anything. You have to prove force, fraud, or coercion in a court of law 
to be certified as a trafficking victim if you're 18 years age or older. But if you're 17 or younger, you don't have to prove force, fraud, or coercion. You're exchanging sex for anything. You're automatically a trafficking survivor. So that's, that's what I was up against. That's what I was fighting. So I went to Maryland. And Kim, is there a slide? I can't remember which slide is next. So I went to Maryland. And these were the statistics. Go back to the other stats. Thanks. So this, these were the statistics that they had out of their trafficking task force. Um, in 2014, they found 396 survivors of trafficking in their state in that one year. 381 of them were for sex. 373 of those were U.S. citizens. And over half of them were children. So when we're talking about domestic minor sex trafficking, we're talking about American people selling American people to other American people. That's what happens most of the time. Trafficking is not necessarily what we think of. It's not the movie Taken. So I'm, I'm looking at Maryland, and then I see a heat map put out by Polaris, which is the national watchdog over human trafficking. And if we were to blow that up and look at all the red dots that they put on the map for either actual or suspected trafficking activity, we wouldn't even be able to see the state of Delaware under all the red. So this is the map I'm seeing. I'm listening to the Maryland task force tell me they found almost 400 victims in one year because they have trained law enforcement. They have a law enforcement-based task force. They have prosecutors in Department of Justice that know how to prosecute this. They have actual punitive charges for this. Delaware had none of that. We didn't even have state legislation against it. And the federal legislation that we did have that covered us for trafficking, the TVPA of 2000, we had no arrests or prosecutions under the federal law either. So there was no discussion of this. So when I talked to law enforcement, and I went to the Attorney General's office and the Governor's office to try and find out what are our stats. I was told, this doesn't happen here. We don't have this problem. We don't have stats. And we don't really need you creating a public panic about this. When we are selling people and children an exploitive sex that is fueled by pornography, and that doesn't create a public panic, I don't know what should. So God sent me on a mission. And because I trusted him and trusted what he told me, I kept moving forward no matter what the state of Delaware said, because his word doesn't return void. So I started presenting presentations to anybody that would listen. And I started cold calling legislators and just saying, what do you know about this issue? Do you understand that we don't have any legislation? Do you understand what Maryland is seeing? Do you understand the 95 corridor is a hotbed for trafficking in the United States? And I showed them this map. And one of the things that Jeff told me after he said, I have to become the state expert, he said, the first thing you're going to have to do is get legislation passed. I had no idea how to get legislation passed. 
But if that's what God told me through Jeff, that's what I knew was my next step. So by 2014, we had our first state legislation, Senate Bill 197, that the governor signed to put us in motion. And as, a, as huge a victory as that was, it was still years before we even had one arrest. And while we were patting ourselves on the back and talking about how our Polaris state had a, a grade that improved from a D to a B plus because of our legislation, legislation is only as effective as its implementation. So we can have legislation all day long. But if we don't have train, trained law enforcement and prosecutors in the Department of Justice that know how to prosecute these cases, legislation does absolutely no good. And it actually makes it worse because what happens is when perpetrators want to come on the 95 corridor to traffic somebody and all of our surrounding states have task forces and trained law enforcement looking for this and Delaware doesn't, where do you think they're going to come to traffic their individuals? They're coming to Delaware. And that was not a message that was encouraged. But I kept speaking it in love and in truth. So part of that legislation passage included the formation of a, a um, human trafficking coordinating council. And it was 17 members that were appointed by the governor, all state agencies, Department of Justice and the kids department and the court system. And somehow God landed me a spot on that council. <laughs> the stay-at-home mom with a big mouth and a lot to say landed on that council. And my faith-based filter was not always or actually never appreciated. <laughs> but I knew if my mission was Jesus first, I had to keep speaking truth, but it had to be in love. Because these people were watching. They would have loved for this work to fail and for me to fail. And no matter how great the organization became, it would have been a failure had I not been speaking truth and love the whole time. So at, at one of the council meetings, after I'd been sitting on the council for about a year and a half, I suggested we do a professional training conference for law enforcement and the kids' department, mental health, um, attorneys, and all the people that I had gone and done presentations to the previous years, I thought would really benefit from the next step. And law enforcement needs to train law enforcement, and attorneys need to train attorneys. They don't just need to hear me up there flapping my cake hole. So I said, let's do a professional training conference. And they said, no, we don't need that. We don't need you to help us with a conference. We just, no thanks, not going to do that. So I decided to move ahead because I felt like that's what God had called me to do. And I was asked by the council to take the state seal that I had permission from the Secretary of State to use on all of our invitations throughout the state agencies. And I had to remove it. And I said, that's okay. Zoe Ministries will just 
post this. So I'm picking my foot up to take the next step, having no idea what I'm going to land on, because I didn't know if anybody was even going to come. And so I opened up registration in September for a November conference. And I went to all the people that I had trained, and I said, we're doing a, a, another step in your training, a deeper dive. And this is the date, and this is when we're going to register. And I had zero money to pay for this. No idea how this was going to happen. And so I stopped by Dover Downs, paid money, signed the contract, and I said, okay, we're going to open it up to 100 people. See who comes, if anybody. And so I opened it up, and within the first hour, all 100 seats were full. And I had people calling saying, I thought this was going to be open today. Like, it says it's closed. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to probably open some more seats. So I opened up another 100, and they filled up. And I opened up another 100, and they filled up. And I'm thinking, I don't have money for the last 200 people. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? There's, we, I was not taking a salary. We had no bank account whatsoever. And so as I was praying, I was driving and just asking God to just help my foot land. I, like, I didn't know what, what to do. And I got a phone call from a guy by the name of Steve Himmelfarb. And he said... I'm with the Matt Haley Trust Fund, and Matt Haley was my best friend. And he died last year in Africa on a missions trip to help trafficking survivors. And I see that you're the only one in Delaware doing anything with trafficking. Is there anything you need? And I said, as a matter of fact, let me tell you about this conference. So I told him, and he said, well, what's the max number? And I said, 600. He said, well, how much do you need? And I said, 10,000. And he said, you'll have a check tomorrow. So I opened it up to 600 people. It filled. We had over 100 people on a waiting list and multiple people showing up the day of trying to get in, hoping that somebody didn't show up for their seat. And it was the first and only conference of its kind in Delaware. What was really neat about that is that because the council and the state had nothing to do with it, and it was all hosted by Zoe Ministries, when I got up to welcome people, I thanked my board and thanked my staff and thanked my committee. And I said, there's one person here who provided for the other 300 of you to be here. And I want to thank him right now. And it's Jesus Christ my personal savior. I would not have been able to do that if it was state-funded or hosted. And so whether people ascribe to Christianity or not, it planted a seed of truth that then God is responsible for the harvest and what he does with that. So, God kept putting me in places I really didn't belong. He put me on the council. He put me in front of this conference. And then I got a phone call, again, out of the blue. Was not looking to do this, but there was a gentleman that said, I have a very good friend who is an attorney in Wilmington, and she heard your presentation. She was at one of your trainings. And normally we have people go through, you know, a series of 
interviews and protocols to be accepted, but we're gonna skip all that for you and we're just wondering if you'd like to do a TED Talk. So I landed on a, the TED Talk stage in 2016. It was absolutely terrifying, scariest thing I've ever done. How many of you know what a TED Talk is, right? So um, it, was, it was amazing how the Spirit of God, like the more nervous you are, the more he shows up because he, he knew he had to cover me because I thought, I am going to vomit on the way up. I know I'm going to vomit, but maybe that'll give me more views. I don't know. <laughs> we'll clean it up and keep talking. Fortunately, that's not what happened. Um, and I got through it. And as soon as I started talking, all you can see are these bright lights. Like you cannot see anybody out there. But I knew, having been in the audience, that there were five to 600 people out there, and it was being streamed live worldwide with no notes, no teleprompter, standing in a little red circle, cameras going back and forth in front of you, very distracting, and God just whoosh, calmed me, went off without a hitch. And you know when you're really nervous and something goes really well and you're so thankful and you just wanna, like that release of emotion? So I was like, thank you very much. And I walk off like this and I get that ugly cry face because I was like, thank you, God, it's over. And I'm so glad and now I can throw up. And so I'm walking off the stage with this ugly cry face and the organizer takes my hand and turns me around and brings me back up on stage looking like that. And, he's, and I've never seen him do that before and I've been there all day. And he said, I want the house lights up and the spotlights down because I want you to see this. And every single person was on their feet. And he said, I've been doing this for a long time. And there will be pockets or groups of people that will, you know, support this, the speaker. And they'll give a standing ovation. But I've never seen this before. And that is the Spirit of God awakening hearts and opening minds to the reality of what is happening. And God enters the space that has been the devil's playground for a really long time. And it is the body of Christ and the power of God himself and the movement of the Holy Spirit that is gonna be required to take this back. And one of, one of the prophetic words that God gave me in the very beginning was that he is going to change the landscape in the state of Delaware when it comes to trafficking and he's gonna use Zoe to do it. But it's his deal not mine. So I am to just guide the snowball down the hill, stay out of his way, but just be willing and listen. And he reminds me often, I can use a donkey if I have to. And there have been times I felt like one, and maybe a donkey would have been a better choice, because I have definitely been kept humble in this position. So TED Talks are a little bit like labor. You forget after the first one and then decide to do it again, which I did the next year. But in between those two TED Talks, I got a phone call from the governor's office. Now this was a governor's office that showed up for my first TED Talk that sat in the very front row that were not pleased with my message. They were not there to support me. This is our former governor and his staff. 
and they didn't want my message to come out in a TED Talk, and they made it quite clear. But again, it's Jesus first, right? So I said what I had to say was kind of polite, thanked them for coming, and, and went on my merry way. And I got a phone call from his chief of staff the next morning, and she was not pleased with me at all. And she said, I'm creating a public panic and that I just need to understand that we just have to be, learn to be okay with, with just reduction. And I said, let me help you understand what reduction means. It means that we have a 15-year-old girl who's being sold and exploited 40 times a day instead of 60 times a day. I'm not okay with that. We're here for freedom and to speak freedom and to offer freedom and wholeness and healing. And for us, that comes through Jesus Christ. Because what the state is doing, and it's, it's not working. That's why we're in the mess that we're in. So while I appreciate your phone call, this conversation is over until you can call back and we can be supportive and working together in this work. And I never heard back. Until the next January, when I was invited to come to the governor's office and be a part of the declaration that he signed that's now hanging in my office, that January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month in our state. So there was another rock of remembrance. So as I kept speaking, we had more legislation passed over the next couple of years. And in 2019, I had a call from a woman by the name of Tammy Holland, who had just moved here from Ohio. And she had been a clinical counselor with Rahab Ministries, who served women who had been trafficked. And she said, hey, just moved here, looking around to see, you know, what's going on in trafficking, and Zoe seems to be what's going on, and just wondered if you wanted to volunteer help. So I brought her on very quickly. We went two weeks later. I had never met her before, and I said, do you want to go with me to a conference in Louisville, Kentucky? <laughs> I'll pick you up, and we'll go together. Never met you before, but this ought to be fun. And so that's what we did. And while we were in Louisville, Kentucky, um, we also visited Ohio, went to Rahab Ministries, and what was going to just simply be a tour so I could see their facility that she arranged. It ended up being a two-hour-long meeting in the office of the executive director, filled with prayer and the Holy Spirit and some tears, and her saying, I've never said this to anybody before, and we have a lot of people that want to partner with us and are pulling at us for resources, but I think we're supposed to partner with you somehow. And I believe that what we're going to create is going to go out nationwide. So they provided us with policies and procedures and budgets and all the things that we didn't have, and they handed it to us on a silver platter, things I would have never been able to create, another rock of remembrance. So we fast forward to um, 2020 in January, and we got a private donation 
so that I could hire four staff. And I was able to hire Tammy, but I also was able to hire Sharon, who's sitting here in the front row, Sharon Stevens. And she is our education coordinator and spiritual director, and also my very dearest friend. And so we started our work in programming. And I'll tell you a little bit about our programs at the end and how you can get involved. But we started looking at property because our goal had always been an aftercare residential therapeutic home for girls who'd been trafficked in Delaware because there is no such home in Delaware. In fact, there are very few homes throughout the country for all trafficking victims, but there are less than 150 beds specifically for minors. The UN, their best guesstimate a couple years ago was that there's between 300 and 350,000 kids who are being trafficked every year, and we have less than 200 beds for them. But we have 13,000 SPCAs. One of the FBI agents that I talked to said, in his experience, the average age is 12, 13 years old for being lured in. And the average age or the average length of time from the time they're lured to the time they die is about seven years. They die of homicide, suicide, drug overdose, and HIV and AIDS. So there's a small window of time. That's why law enforcement training is so vitally important, and we still don't have it. That's why a law enforcement-based task force is so important, and we don't have it. That's why trained prosecutors in the Department of Justice need to know how to prosecute these cases, and we don't have it. So even in 2012, when I started and we were covered by the federal law, we had zero arrests or prosecutions. We've had state law since 2014. We've had one prosecution under a trafficking statute. And that was a slap on the hand. The state does not take this seriously. This is the second largest criminal enterprise we have in our country. It used to be third, but it has now surpassed weapons, and it is second only to drugs. It is a 32 billion, with a B, dollar a year industry in our country. I skipped over all kinds of stuff. I'm hopping all over the place this morning. As we're looking at our property, we found a place that we thought was going to be just perfect in Dover, and we waited on that place for a year. And it, it just didn't come to fruition. And so we kept looking, kept looking, and about, I don't know, a couple months before COVID hit, or the fall before, I guess it was, we had a property that we found in Sussex. And it was over 20 acres, and it was a horse farm, and it was absolutely beautiful. And we really felt like this is, this is where we're supposed to be. And it was $625,000. And we had no money for that. And... We had um, 
decided that we would talk to the owner, tell her our situation. She loved our work, loved our ministry, loved what we're doing. And she said, I'm going to hold the house for you for six months. And if you have the money by the end of six months, fantastic. And if not, then we'll talk options. And so I knew that if this was the place, God was going to provide it. So we started our campaign and went on social media. And in five and a half months, we raised $5,000. So we had two weeks to raise the other $620,000. Got the first hardest $5,000 out of the way first. <laughs> and so... There was a part of me, I, was, I have to admit, I was getting, I was starting to sweat, starting to get a little nervous because COVID had hit. And before COVID, we had a chance to potentially have a contract or an MOU with the state, with the kids department, that they would send us kids and give us money. And so that was going to be part of our sustainability. But then COVID hit and the deputy director called me and said, there's no money. It's all going to COVID relief, deals off. Can't do it. And the funders we had gone to pre-COVID that we could potentially get some money for also called us and said, COVID relief, please don't apply for any funding for at least a year or two. So everything was off the table, but I had to look back at all the rocks of remembrance and know if this is where God wanted us to be, this is where we were going to be. So the two weeks went down to one week, and then four days, and then three days, and then two days, and then the last day, and we still only had $5,000. And I called Rahab Ministries at 5 o'clock that night, their leadership team, and I said, I need you all to pray because I am really struggling within myself to say goodbye to this property, but also created a lot of doubt within me. I'm thinking if I miss something this big, how can I possibly lead an organization in faith from this point on? And I stand before you knowing that in my flesh of myself, there is no good thing. Everything in me that is good and faithful is because he has flowed through me to create that. I know my flesh, and I don't deserve to be here. So I was crying. They were praying for me. And while we were praying, my phone rang, but I ignored it. And I checked my phone afterwards, and it was somebody saying, you need to check your email. So I checked my email. That email linked me with somebody who, gave, who wanted to stay anonymous but gave a private donation of $620,000. That is awesome. <laughs> so I called my staff, called my board. We were all rejoicing. Huge rock of remembrance. And we knew that's where we were supposed to be. 
So all those funders that had initially told me no before COVID, I couldn't wait to call them and say, guess what just happened? We got the farm. And I told them the details of what happened and they were blown away. And they said, you know, you applied for $25,000 before COVID and we don't really have any money available, but why don't you go ahead and apply for 50? So that's what we did. We applied for 50. They called us back two weeks later and said, we denied your 50. We're going to give you 100,000 instead to do your renovations. So I'll show you pictures later of the renovations. And all these funders in Delaware, they, you know, they're talk, they talk to each other. So remember Steve Hemelfarb from the Matt Haley Trust? He was, he was chatting with Chris from the Welfare Foundation who gave us the 100,000 and said, you need to, you gotta talk to Yolanda. So Steve calls me, I tell him the story and he's like, Yolanda, this is great, but I'm really concerned. I'm concerned that you guys have all these great programmings going on and then you're gonna open a residential on top of that? Like that is a lot. I think you may have like bit off more than you can chew. And I thought, he doesn't know my God. And this is a great opportunity to show him who God is. And so I just gave him the facts. And I said, we may not agree on, on God or spirituality and that's okay. But this is our journey and I have to share our journey with you. And when you tell a story like that, you can't make that stuff up. I can't control that. And, and the spirit of God rests on his own word. It rests on his truth and is impactful in the situation in which you are speaking it. So when I'm speaking that to somebody who's not a Christian or doesn't ascribe to my Christianity, the spirit of God still works because we all have the Imago Dei in us. We all have that spirit of God in us and it connects with the spirit of God in another person, whether you recognize it or not. So when I'm sitting there telling him this story and he's getting teary-eyed and getting goosebumps, I can say to him, that's God. That's his presence. That's him letting you know that, that this was his work. But if you are you know, not comfortable in giving us you know, the 10,000 we applied for, I certainly understand that, and I want you to be a responsible steward of the money in Matt Haley Trust. And, and if God doesn't provide it that way, he's going to provide it a different way. Jesus first. A couple weeks goes by. He calls me and he says, this, this was Christmas Eve morning. He sent me a text and he said, I'm so sorry to bother you on the holidays. Can you please call me? So I called him. And he said, I have not slept much in the last couple weeks. I just keep thinking about what you said. And even though we may not ascribe to the same God, there's no doubt that something is happening and your faith is in something much greater than you. And I'm, I've been so touched by that that we're not going to give you the 10000 We're going to give you 50000 instead. So fast forward a couple more months. We're working on renovations. We're moving forward with our programming. And this is frustrating work because the state still does not take this seriously. 
So let me tell you the situation as it stands as of just a few days ago. Sharon had a meeting with um, the head of DFS in the kids department. And this is an example of bureaucracy at its best. The, the individuals in the meeting, the women in the meeting were lovely women. And they recognized that Zoe has done a lot of work and that we're the go-to for trafficking in Delaware and that we're opening this home and they think it's wonderful and they support us and they think it's fantastic. But the way the system is set up and the system is so broken that the system says we can't apply for a bid to contract with them until next June. And then even when we do, it might be the following June before we actually get the bid. So here we are sitting with this property paid for, renovations gonna be done, planning to open in November, and no kids from Delaware can come to us from the state. Because you know what we're doing in Delaware? When we find a kid who's been trafficked, we're sending them out of state to another facility with our Delaware money. While we're sitting here, ready to open. Not because of the people, but because of the system. We cannot expect the system to fix things. It has to be the power of God breaking into those systems to bring truth and to help people see things through a different filter. So I would appreciate your prayers in that because as God would have it providentially, about a week, week and a half ago, I had a meeting with the state of Maryland and their kids department director to see if we could partner with them because I had a feeling Delaware was not gonna fill our six beds. And so when I called them, we had a great meeting. They loved our work, we're really excited. They only have 14 beds in the entire state of Maryland for kids and 10 of those beds are only for 90 days. So they said, if you were open, we could send you four or five girls right now. So it might be that God is opening up our nationwide work outside of Delaware from the beginning. Our two girls that we first take in might be from Delaware or might be from Maryland or New Jersey. And it might stay like that for a while. But that's okay because we're also praying that God would bring the first two that he wants in this home when we open November 22nd. I skipped all over the place, Kim. We have done nothing in order like I did the first time. So let's go through and see what kind of slides I've missed and what I have to back up. Okay, so this, is, um, this was in Kev Calloway um, a number of years ago, and this um, is our, our Power Over Predators um, curriculum that Sharon oversees. We go into schools. Our hope was to get into every middle school and every high school in the state of Delaware to bring preventive education. So it doesn't just talk about trafficking. We talk about healthy boundaries and relationships and sex torsion and cyberbullying and all those social media issues that kids have. But we also use it to prevent trafficking. So our goal is to work with the Human Trafficking Coordinating Council and 
and the Board of Education and try to get in every sixth and ninth grade class somehow. So if any of you work with schools or know people that work with schools, we would love for you to contact us through our website, get a hold of Sharon and see if we can set up um, a program. It can be 30 minutes, it can be three sessions each at 90 or anything in between, whatever works for that school. We also do um, youth group presentations. So if, you're in, if your kids are involved in other youth groups or for this youth group even, we would love to come present to them. And we talk to them about, about who they are in Christ, if they're open to that. Um, we have to be really careful because this curriculum is, it's a set curriculum. So we have to be Jesus without necessarily talking about him unless the kids bring it up. But where we are free to talk about him is in our equine mentorship program. It's known as Crystal Peaks. Sharon also runs that program. So this is an eight-week program that we're going to start again in September. Next year when we do it, there'll probably be 12-week programs because the kids love it and they don't want it to end when the eight weeks is over. So what we do in this program is we take a kid and a horse and an adult mentor who is a healthy, Christian, very well-vetted adult, and we pair them, and we talk to them about things like forgiveness and trust and who God is, only if they're open to it. This is a, this is a time for them to just sit and hold space with somebody who cares about them. It's just their time. And our session leaders invite the power of the Holy Spirit into those sessions to just minister to those kids. These kids do not have to be trafficked. This is for any child, boy or girl, between the age of 12 and 17 that needs some extra support. Maybe they're struggling because of COVID or because of a parent's divorce or anxiety and depression. It's tough growing up right now as a kid. This is a tough world. I don't know one kid that doesn't need extra support. So you can... Um, go to our website, and there are referral forms for this program. So we would love to support your kids at this church and open that up um, to you or any other kids that you know in your community. Please contact us. So these are um, some renovations that we're doing. This is the upstairs um, office area. That's one of the bedrooms, the bathroom that goes with that bedroom. Um, then we have an outbuilding that we are creating space for an education room. And then we have another space for um, a rec room slash gym area. So we have somebody who's going to come do CrossFit and yoga um, in our rec area with them. Um, and then we have, so that's the education room on the right-hand side. And then in another part of the building, we have um, a conference room and a couple of offices and then our admin area. And then off the back of the house, we have a deck with a pool. And as you can see, we have um, some beautiful pasture land. We have three large pastures um, behind the house, and we're all surrounded by trees. We can't show the outside of the house because we want to keep it confidential for safety and security purposes. But I at least wanted you all to have an idea of what your money, support, and prayers are going to so that you can see the work that you are helping us with. So I'm going to um, 
we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of the support needs and ways that you can plug in. And as I said, this this has been the devil's playground for a really long time. And it is only prayer that releases the power of the Holy Spirit to come into situations and help people see, really see what is happening. And so, so many people think that they know what trafficking is. They think it's the movie Taken, or they, they confuse it with human smuggling, which is a violation against a border. Trafficking is violation against a person. And it can happen in your own home, which is why we have grandmothers selling their nine and 10-year-old granddaughters on the weekend for sex in exchange for drugs or food. And to understand really what, what trafficking really looks like in Delaware, we do a completely different presentation, anywhere from one to three hours, including question and answer, so that we show you on the screen, this is what trafficking looks like. This is how kids are lured. This is how women are trapped. And there are men who are also trapped and we miss them frequently because there's such a stigma to males being sex trafficked. But there also is labor trafficking in all three counties. So in order to know what that really looks like and how to spot it and what to do when you find it, we also come back to do presentations we can present to the youth group with one curriculum, but then the adult presentation, we really dig into it and show you what it really looks like. So we'd be happy to come back at any point and do an actual presentation for you as well. You're already our church partner, and we love and appreciate you for that. If there are people here that feel led and called above and beyond to partner with us, we're looking for 1,000 people to give $35 a month for one year. And that would support about one-third of our budget annually. So you can be the first one to sign up for a new program. <laughs> so we also have opportunities to um, support kids. So if somebody just loves horses and they say, I would love to be able to give money to support the 12-week mentorship program for one kid, we can do that. If you say, I want to support one kid for a year, we have the budget figured out so we know how much that is. You can support a kid for a year. You can help us decorate a room. And speaking of that, one thing that I love about God is how he's into the details and how he goes so far before us that when that house was built that we're in now, it was only built um, maybe, was it 20 years ago or so, I think? And the house is gorgeous. It's a, it's a log home. And one of the things that we know in, in research and talking to people who have done aftercare is that these girls don't come from pretty homes most of the time. And if they've been in a trafficking situation, it definitely has not been a comfortable home. And so when they walk into a beautiful home that well-intended people have decorated with lots of glitter and sparkles and unicorn pictures and they want to make it really pretty for the girls, it actually has the opposite effect and they feel shame because they feel like they don't deserve to be there and then they run. So it's really hard to decorate a place and you wouldn't think that it would really take that much thought, but it really does. So what God did for us is he provided this log home that's gorgeous with nothing on the walls, just like it is. It's very natural, very organic. We don't have to put anything at all on the walls and it's gorgeous. And it's not intimidating. 
and it feels very natural to them. So we have um, a few other, do I have a few other slides? So we talked about equine session leaders. Um, we do have a horse, a horse barn. So if you just love to muck stalls, if you love to plant in flower beds, any of those kind of things, if you like to help clean or do windows or stain a deck, anything like that, we need those, those kind of help as well. Um, if you have um, a certain class that you'd like to offer, if you bake, if you like to sew, if you like to quilt, anything that would, would help the girls with life skills, like helping them learn how to budget or helping us tutor. We're not, we don't exactly have our education piece figured out yet. We're having a couple different parallel conversations throughout the state to try and figure that out, but we're gonna need extra tutoring help. <clears throat> so you can give online. Um, there's a PayPal button there, um, or you can mail us a check. And we're not offended at all by cash either. So those are some of the ways that you can, that you can plug in and help. Um, I really did. This is a completely different presentation than I gave the first service. But that's okay because that's what God does, right? Wh whoever needed to hear this particular presentation is here for this time. So I am going to end with our psalm that is our Zoe psalm, which is Psalm 10. And I want you to notice... that the first chunk of verses can be applied to traffickers and perpetrators. And the next chunk talks about God's position on that. And then the, the last chunk talks about his heart for the survivors, which I believe is the heart of every single one of you sitting out there that supports this work. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord, and why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God, and God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all of his enemies, he sneers at them. And he said in his heart, I will not be moved. I will never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places, he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches and lies low, that the helpless may fall by his strength. And he said in his heart, God is forgotten. He hides his face. He'll never see. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. But you have seen. And you do observe trouble and grief. And you repay it by your hand the helpless one who commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil and seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king.
forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their hearts. You will cause your ear to hear. And here's our verse. To do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that the man of the earth may oppress no more. Thank you.